Hey Neighbors Church, Alexis and Dan here with October's uh, conversation. It's actually crazy to me that we're already to the month of October. I feel like September flew by. We celebrated our 20th anniversary, which I feel so excited about. Um, Dan and I aren't teenagers anymore. Pretty special. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're way into the game at this point, babe. Yeah, we are. I love it. Um, as well, our son turned 15. Um, we had some special times with the body of Christ uh, this past month. And you know, it's, it's so cliche, uh, but for the bulk of our church, our, the average age of our church is, you guys are what, 23? I don't know, 25, 25. Mm-hmm. maybe? I'm just telling you, it, it goes by faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. I, I literally cannot believe how this is speeding by. I know it's crazy. Like 2021 is almost over. It's just nuts. We're almost two years from the start of the global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, um, as a church, we have been, of course, going through the Future Church series, um, focusing on the type of community we want to be in the the culture that we live in. And so these monthly conversations that we're having, we're trying to tie in um, just the big ideas that we're learning on Sunday and tie them in into a more, I guess it's like these conversations are kind of like microscopically um, zeroing in. We want these combos to be like tributaries off the main river. Yeah. You know, little threads that we can follow from some of the topics and ideas. Mm -hmm. So in September, we talked about uh, the whole idea of going the pace of the flock And if you look at that, that going the pace of the flock ties into being a slowed down spiritual community that practices things like Sabbath and silence and solitude as well going the pace of the flock can tie into the practice of vocation that we've talked about, um, seeing our work as our calling to rule and cultivate and care for others for creation. We talked about that big idea of reweaving God's glory into the spheres of our influence. And then just this last week, we actually talked about justice and justice requires us going at the pace of the flock because we actually have to slow down to see those who need compassion. If we're just hurriedly going about our day and focused on our agendas and that type of thing, we're gonna miss the tangible and practical needs of the people around us the homeless person on the side of the street, maybe that single mom who lives a few houses down from us. We have to have a slowed down spirituality and go the pace of the flock in order to see humans around us. You know, I wanted to encourage you guys in the podcast world. It's interesting. They say that your content has to continually be increasing if you're going to have a successful podcast. And when my wife and I began this podcast, we had no intention of being successful. (laughs) That really wasn't at the root of it. We literally just wanted to hang out with each other and talk about the stuff that we talk about with microphones in front of our faces. Yeah, it was like through the global pandemic, we were just like, okay, we were going to start this church plant. And then that shifted because of the pandemic. And so now it's like, how can we talk about life and encourage our core group of people who were faithfully... (laughs) week after week meeting with us on Zoom. And so it didn't ever start out with like, let's make this into something. It was just like, how can we encourage 
the church through these times that we're living in. Yeah, so we're, two thoughts on that. The pace of the flock means that we're, we've slowed this podcast down again. We told you guys we're only going to be doing the convo, the conversations once a month. And the other piece in the once a month content, even though all successful podcast counsel would be, you need to be putting out weekly content, which we are with contemplates, but is, is really this honoring of simplicity and stillness and slowing down. And we want to encourage you, our church, especially our church community. And those of you that listen to this podcast on a regular basis, a once a month conversation, my wife and I are literally practicing what we talk about for that month and approaching this conversation. We've already been in depth talking about what we're going to talk about today for actually a couple months now approaching this conversation. I think the point that I'm trying to get across is um, a true spiritual walk with Jesus is slow and steady and it's, it's, it's chewing on things for a long time. It's the resistance to the Instagram feed that's just a continual onslaught of information. It's, it's doing less equals more. So we really want to encourage you at the front end of the month as we roll out these conversations, sit down with uh, your community or with a good friend and a cup of coffee or with your spouse, whoever it may be, and have a conversation like we're having a conversation and then roll that out. Let the month of October be rooted in what we're talking about as we go the pace of the flock, which is so much slower than what our current culture is um, living in and living towards. Mm -hmm. So conversation for October, we want to dial in one of the tributaries in this great river topic of community, the practice of community. We rolled out a couple of weeks ago, um, becoming a community or a, yeah, becoming a community of tight knit loving relationships in a culture of individualism and tribalism, the practice of community. But we want to dial in a particular thread of community. Myself, my wife, uh, a growing cohort of leaders and a circle of churches that we are a part of from our sister church, Park Hill, and, and many others. We believe that God is beginning to work renewal into the church. And uh, at the epicenter of renewal of, of the church in the West, will be these, not just another Wednesday night event, small group, but literal um, mustard seeds of tight knit loving relationships. And they will, they will blossom in this culture of caustic cynicism and corrosive individualism. And so as we've been meditating on the big, the bigger topic of tight knit loving relationships and community and what that means for the church, we've also been talking about the things that break and destroy and um, pollute this type of community that the Holy Spirit is forming in, in the church in this day and age. And so our topic that we really want to dial in today uh, is on our speech, <laughs> the power of our speech. Yeah, we've actually, Dan and I have started calling it the covenant of the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sounds like something only married people should be talking about, but yeah, that's not what we mean. It's actually a beautiful and holy <laughs> thing, guys. 
<laughs> yeah, a, co- a covenant, a covenant of the tongue. Yes, our words. Uh, what is? Yeah, you know, we're Bible people, so we're always using Bible words in our conversations and on our walk and talks and the stuff that we do. What is a covenant? What is a covenant of the tongue in particular and how does it relate to community and how dear friend does it have anything to do with your life and how will it bring flourishing to you and those that God has placed you in the midst of? Okay. Covenant in the biblical framework in the biblical imagination covenant is a radical commitment. Mm -hmm. Uh, A covenant is an agreement between two parties, but it's not just kind of a shake of the hand pinky swear type agreement. It's a vow of sorts. There's yeah, like, great weight to it. Literally in the Old Testament, they would like burn up animals. They would do stuff half. with the thighs. You know, <laughs> there was like a whole bunch of practicing happening to like make these covenants legit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of, there was a lot of blood involved in the covenantal framework. I, I mean, in all seriousness, the, the covenant of the New Testament, mm-hmm. the new covenant in which we find ourselves as Protestant Christians, as, as believing Holy Spirit filled people of Jesus um, was fulfilled and, and, and ratified by the blood of Jesus. So covenant is heavy. That's the point we're trying to get across. It's an agreement that's very, very weighty. And I don't know, was it me that coined the term or was it you, Lex, when you and I, we were talking about conversations and it was it you that said, we need to be careful with our tongues? Yeah, and- it was just, I think in relationship at home, in the privacy of a person's home, it's easy to be more free in the way we talk. And it's easy to be less mindful of the things we're saying and how we are saying things. And... I just at one point with you said, you know, I want us to really press into as a couple honoring the body of Christ and image bearers in a way where if they were here with us, they would walk away in a, in a with a sense of being edified and lifted up and not, you know, questioning. Yeah. And um, yeah. wondering, boy, you know, am I really cared for? Um, with their speech. Yeah, and I think our language was something like, let's let's commit to this. Let's commit yeah. to the way that we talk about people in private. And we I said, literally said, let's covenant. Yeah, it's like a covenant. With our tongues. A covenant of the tongue. And then I was like, let's make out. No, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, okay, you get the big idea. My wife and I, uh, some months ago, made this commitment, this covenant of the tongue. And the big idea is to speak biblically, mm-hmm. to speak with love, uh, to speak and and use in our conversations a tone of care, to have genuine concern. Now listen to these adjectives for all image bearers, for all image bearers. That is any human that we find ourselves in discussion about, mm-hmm. any situation, any church, any community of people, all image bearers. We have covenanted, agreed with one another in a weighty way to speak biblically with love, care, and concern. And we have covenanted to do this. We've agreed with each other to do this, not only in public where all of our language is often polished and careful and we exercise prudence in our public discourse for the most part, although that's falling apart in our cultural moment. But more importantly, my wife and I have made this covenant with our speech and each other in private when we are alone. The the late at night in bed conversation about the issue that's really hurting us, bothering us, we're concerned about. In private, we have covenanted to speak biblically carefully with love and care and concern. We're going to develop that through this conversation. 
And just so you know, you don't have to be married to make this commitment. Uh I mean, within friendship, you know, over coffee, how are you talking about the body of Christ? Um, You know, with your friends over dinner, what is your speech reflecting? And I also want to just clarify as well that this commitment is is not to the neglect of actually talking about just like real life issues that are happening or mistakes that have been made or maybe points of disagreement that we might have with someone relationally or politically or even theologically for that matter. But the commitment is to use a tone that covers sins, that communicates with empathy. I think we could all use a little more empathy and understanding of one another and our various positions on things. It's also this commitment to not mock or make, uh, you know, straw men um, of their ideas, their arguments and that kind of thing. And it's to always be speaking of a person in the way that we want them to actually speak about us. My, um, you know, we all hear that, that age old thing, like if people are talking to you a certain way about people, then they are talking about you to, um, to other people in the yeah. same way. And so that it's that whole thing of like kind of what goes around comes around. Um, what we do, others um, yeah. are likely to be reflecting it's, that too. It's conversation karma. Mm-hmm. There's no, it's a real, I mean, that's not a Bible thing. That's like a super Hindu thing, but <laughs> you get what I mean. The way you're talking is yeah, the way- Do unto others as you'd have them do unto that's you. A super, thanks for bringing it back to Jesus, yeah, babe. I can always Jesus-y. trust you to keep me out of the world of heresy. Uh, so you guys, the Bible, the Bible is like unapologetic about our communication. The Bible does not wince um, at our need to exercise incredible self-control with our words. And the Bible and all of the biblical authors, Old Testament and New Testament, they emphasize that our speech is, it it determines the course of our lives and it determines the course of other lives. And it determines in some cases, and this is going to sound weighty. This is why we have covenanted uh, our, our eternal abode. Listen to some of these verses. Here's the psalmist, Psalm 34, verses 11 to 13. The psalmist says, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Okay, so that's a a common refrain throughout the Old Testament, fear of the Lord. It means obeying God, reverencing him, honoring him. Whoever you, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, now you would expect him to lay out the pathway to human flourishing as a list of, you know, kind of actions to take. But instead, the psalmist says, whoever of you loves life and you desire to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. The first step to living long days is to watch over your speech carefully. That's incredible to me. Yeah, that's weighty. It's super weighty. Psalm 15, here's another one. Lord, the psalmist cries and asks, who may dwell in your sacred tent? So now we're, now we're into presence language, holy of holies, temple language, heaven on earth language, this presence language. Who may live on your holy mountain? You know, who's the one that will approach you? Who's the Moses who gets to go to the top of the mountain? Who's Peter and John and James who are invited with Jesus to go to the mountain of transcendence and see the glory of God? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, and now here it is, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters 
no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. The presence, the presence of God and our proximity to God's presence is weighted by our words, friends, both in public and in private. Hence the need for covenant, for this weighty language of agreement and accountability and discretion in the way that we use our words. Man, how much our culture stands in stark contrast uh, to what we're talking about. You know, the it doesn't take long to be scrolling through our social media feeds to see the degradation of civil discourse. Um, you know, one get on one person can get on Twitter and quickly find a heated interaction or debate that is lacking in empathy and really an awareness of like the consequence of our words. Recently, I was writing a paper for one of my classes and um, I had to listen to this on being interview with Krista Tippett and she was interviewing Kwame Anthony Apaya. And Kwame actually said in this interview that it's harder to use the kind of language that people routinely use on the web to someone's face, even a stranger, but especially someone you know. If they're physically present, we get feedback from their face. You get the shocked look in the eyes of the other person. And so he's, he's really commenting and, and expressing how when we are in the presence of another person, we have this ability in our with our words to see in reflection of that person's face, their reaction to what we're saying. And so oftentimes, if you have any sort of social IQ or emotional capacity, you're able to read a person's face in person and go, oh, I think what I just said, they didn't understand or they made a face and you can ask clarifying questions and that kind of thing. Or you just offended them. They just flat out didn't like it. At least you can see that. Yes, yes. And so this whole paradox between online language and the real world is really holds the same truth for us, um, for one another when we're in the presence of each other and when we're not. So is our speech reflecting what in person when we're away from that person? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, our, our neural chemistry is actually affected. Mm-hmm. There's, these, there's a whole world of study in neurobiology around something called mirror neurons. Yep. And the human brain interprets the face of another person and actually mirrors what that are. It's, it's how we discern emotions in other humans and we experience their emotions in our emotions. Mm-hmm. And so the great danger with public discourse without embodied fellowship face-to-face conversational patterns and mirror neurons firing mm-hmm. is we are just unleashed. We just unleash the venom. And then what happens is I think this toxicity pollutes our conversations in private, friends, mm-hmm. if we're honest. Mm-hmm. We are taking in what the algorithms of Instagram and Twitter and our news feeds are feeding us in our echo chambers. And then we're just spewing that all over each other even in private. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, this amplification of toxicity and yeah. venom. And we are losing our ability to care for one another with our communication. I really think the church um, can be in a dangerous position when our main influence is 
social media and Twitter and technology because slowly we start to just take in what what is shaping us. And so if we're not spending time in the word and creating some distance um, from those platforms where there's a lack of empathy and the ability to be engaging with the person in an embodied way, face to face, eye to eye over a cup of coffee, um, we have to be careful because the church is just as susceptible to this as anyone else. Um, and so really, I think this all this this begs the question, what does our speech reflect when we aren't with others? When you are not with your community group and maybe there's someone in your community group who you're like, ooh, I don't love that person's ideas. What does your speech reflect about them when they're not around? Mm-hmm. You know, what does our speech reflect about um, the people that we're, you know, in class with and we... Um, maybe think they're kind of weird. I mean, I just, I think we're all in so many situations where maybe there's someone who's wronged you and Mm -hmm. what does your speech reflect about them when you're not with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of things. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you're gonna have the same themes on repeat. We're like a skipping record. Disconnect from social media, be in each other's presence, find place to actually embody fellowship with one another. These are the core things to human flourishing and human community. in this, in this world of, of private speech, I think it's important, we, again, to remind you, we're not saying to gloss over points of disagreement. I think that political discourse is very, very important. Theological discourse is very important. Conversations around the way that people interact in community that we're a part of, those are important. We're not saying don't talk about those things and sweep those things under the carpet. We're saying there is tone and way of communication that recognizes image bearing that speaks biblically, bringing us into the presence of God and into the presence of each other with real power. And this is where probably in, in no clearer fashion, the new Testament makes clear the power of our speech, both in the presence of others and in private and of all the new Testament authors James dials this into focus. Some think him to be the brother of Jesus. That's debatable. Matters not. It's all inspired scripture. Let me read this very, very famous passage from the book of James about our tongue. James says, we all stumble in many ways. It's a given. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes in our words as well. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. So James is, he's not an idealist. He's a realist. He's like, hey, we're going to, We're going to fail at this. But if you, uh, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So there's something about our words that influences the rest of our personal body. And then he gives all these kind of illustrations. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. So a tiny little thing in in the mouth of a horse, this huge, powerful animal, can move that animal at our whim. Or take ships as an example, James says. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
The tongue also is a fire. Now James just, James is hardcore. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts. There's that pollutant language again. Excuse me. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Like you can burn your life down with the words that you use and is itself, James says about the tongue, that it is itself set on fire by hell. We're going to talk a little bit more about the spirit by which we are speaking, the Holy Spirit or the spirit of the murderer and the liar and the accuser. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And now he sets up this very interesting contrast that I think we're to meditate upon deeply. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Guys, I have been in a long season of repentance, especially through the political and social upheaval of the last two years, recognizing that I have cursed, I have cursed with my tongue, those whom God has made in his image. James says very, very clearly and unapologetically, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In summary, on this power, the power, the fiery tongue lighting forests on fire, the speech that we're using shapes our communities. It shapes our, it shapes the polis, the, the, the city. It shapes the, the politic. It shapes the thoughts and the philosophy of our internal and external realities. Our, our speech shapes our souls. And the predominant speech of a Jesus follower is to be that of praise and gratitude, thanksgiving, care, and concern for the other, period. James leaves no room. He says, yes, we will fail, but the predominant source, the fountainhead of a Christian's speech is that of praise and love and adoration for God and care and concern and selfless at cost to oneself, love for the other. Mm-hmm. Formed, formed by our words, reflected by our words in public and in private. You know, Jesus said that out of the mouth Um, the heart speaks. And recently I was listening to Jackie Hill Perry um, teach at Together for the Gospel. And um, she was talking about this exact passage. And I think what she had to say was so powerful. She said, there's a huge disconnect between our worship of God and the words we speak about the people that God has made. I mean, how many times have you been in a Sunday gathering, worshiping God, raising your hands during song, taking of communion, studying the scriptures, and then gotten in your car and proceeded to slander someone that was in that community um, that you were just standing side by side worshiping with. Jackie Hill Perry goes on to say, I think it's that we have failed to see or have forgotten the fact that the way we talk about people 
says a lot about what we actually believe about God. Oh, preach, Perry Hill, whoa. Yeah. Perhaps we have forgotten, she says, that our speech towards him and each other are both forms of worship. Man, our speech towards God is worship, but also our speech towards one another is worship. That is an inconsistent thing to sing. That it is an inconsistent thing to sing, I love you, Lord, and to say, I hate your neighbor, I hate you, neighbor. And of course, most of the time we don't see our undue criticism, slander, gossip, and reviling of another as hatred, but hate is simply to love someone comparatively less than the other, than another. And then she says, John said, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, who has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So our issue then is not only controlling the tongue, but dealing with the content of our hearts. Our words reveal what our hearts hide. So powerful. Man, jeez. I think that... You know, Jackie Hill Perry is is addressing the very thing that I have come under the conviction of, and it's this this need for holiness, this longing for holiness that's so deep in my soul of late. Yeah, and she's challenging the incongruencies of our worship of God and our love for our brother and sisters through our words. I mean, we don't want it. We we certainly don't want ourselves to be taken to task without mercy. I mean, James says we're all going to fail in this, but friends, please, if necessary, pause this podcast right now and and make a list, starting with politics, starting with Twitter, starting with uh, people in your community, make a list of of people that you've spoken about. Yeah. Maybe it's even family members, you Mm -hmm. know, so many families. um, I've talked to many people who have had this divide in the past year and a half come into their homes just because of politics and differing views on vaccinations and those kinds of things. It's literally separated families. And so much at the root of that separation has come through um, inflamed words towards one another and a lack of self-control with the words that we're speaking. Yeah, and what, what we want you guys to understand and what I'm discovering is that the inflamed words in public is what we focus on. That's where the forest burns down. But the inflamed words in private, Mm -hmm. when you're not even with your family, actually frame your mind. Mm -hmm. They actually form your soul and your perspective and your posture towards the person that you're talking about. It's it's almost, I mean, this is going to sound so strange, but there's a metaphysical, miraculous, I don't know, spiritual reality to what happens in our souls when we speak in a biblical, loving, concerned way for even our enemy mm-hmm. in private. It changes the way that we perceive and think and we can create greater unity. We can create a true Christian community even in our speech in private because our hearts are at one with the people that we're having conversation about. Mm-hmm. Psalm 133 says how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. And so our words are either upholding and building unity within, within community with our speech in private and in public 
or our speech in private and in public is dividing and destroying that unity um, because our heart's posture and the reality of what's happening in our heart is being manifested into the world um, by our words. One of the things I love about that Psalm 133 is that picture of this precious oil. When unity is being maintained and God's people are living together in unity, it's like this anointing. When you think of a king in the Old Testament times being anointed with oil, God is literally saying, Yahweh is saying, when God's people are dwelling together in unity, in private and in public, It's like this anointing, this precious oil is being poured out on them and I'm setting them um, aflame and I'm sending them forth into culture and into the world and into the workplaces and into their schools as anointed mouthpieces. It's incredible. Man, babe, as you're just sitting there talking, I have this image in my mind and it's of you and I, it's 11 o'clock at night, you know, the classic moment in marriage where we're having the conversation it's as if our mouths are pouring forth rivers of living water and oil. And those rivers are going out from our mouths into our kids and into our community. And it is this picture of the private conversation becoming the, the fountainhead of where this anointing of unity is really sourced. Mm-hmm. It, it seems that the spirit is showing me right in this moment, unity is not sourced or found in the public moment of being together with people, unity is sourced in private. Mm-hmm. What we do in private first is what leads to that deep anointed unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have to protect the unity of the church and strive um, to make every effort to uphold that unity in the private. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul says that as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Are you seeing that humble <laughs> humbleness and gentleness on Twitter? <laughs> uh, be patient. Are we seeing patient interactions with one another in community? Are you being patient with your mom, friend? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe you need to ask yourself that. Just make it real. Um, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, Paul says, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Mm-hmm. You know, there is another piece in all of this too that I've, um, I've both had to learn the hard way and I've discovered to be just a sweet, um, I don't know, a sweet balm to my soul. And it's that you're not always looking over your shoulder trying to figure out if you've said something somewhere that might offend somebody because you know that your speech is consistent, that every time you've opened your mouth, you're not worried about getting caught in maybe what you've said. You haven't spun something. You haven't spun a narrative. You haven't spun a lie. You haven't spun an exaggeration. You haven't mocked somebody. Uh, Ecclesiastes, though he's such a cynical writer, he has so many little helpful tidbits and thoughts. Ecclesiastes 10.20 says, do not revile the king, even in your thoughts. So be careful about your thought life, the cynic of Ecclesiastes says. He says, or curse the rich in your bedroom, those late night conversations with your spouse. Because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is uh, I don't know, the fear of reprimand and, and uh, getting caught. Being the one that says something in private that accidentally is said out in public and I have done this in my own world so many times, both in funny and humorous ways and in really tragic breaking ways. 
And so <clears throat> what we're speaking is uh, being made concrete. Oh my gosh, this actually reminds me of that one time. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a time in our marriage when oh boy. Dan, anytime we were together, like alone, he would say the word manipulate, but he loved to make a joke, honestly, just to drive me crazy by saying manipulate instead of manipulate. I am a 13 year old (laughs) trapped in a 44 year old body. I just, I junior high humor manipulate. That's hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. But the funny thing was I would always tell Dan, Dan, you say that so much in private with me that one day you're going to be like teaching from the pulpit and and you're actually actually going to say manipulate instead of manipulate. And I am not kidding. Sure enough, exactly what I prophesied (laughs) would happen from the pulpit. Dan's talking about something and he's being serious. And all of a sudden he says manipulate. And I was literally just like that, that infant, that, you know, that moment of, I told you so, but it was like, he was caught. He was caught what he was doing in private and saying in private he proclaimed from the pulpit. I know you're smiling right now as you're listening to this podcast though, manipulate. Okay, so here's the deal. Also, it's not only only getting caught in public, we get caught in our hearts too. Mm -hmm. So what I mean, we get caught in our hearts in this way. What I mean by that is a hypercritical person is always concerned about who's criticizing them. So true. Like if you're the person that in, in private, you have a critical word about every other person that you see. Like in your heart, when you're watching your, you get your friends and you you're get criticizing. Because now mm-hmm. you you walk into a room or you meet somebody new, your primary concern is how are they criticizing you? The gossip is always certain that other people are gossiping about them. Mm-hmm. And the judgmental person is always being judged in their own minds. And so there is this, it's communication karma again. It's, it's just tyranny. Yeah. It's just you're a slave to it. Yep. You you get caught in the way that you communicate. And so when in private, when you begin to really practice this covenant of the tongue and biblical speech and love and concern and care for the other at cost to self, all these things, um, <clears throat> suddenly when you walk into a room, it's it's miraculous. You're not caught or worried that they're criticizing you or judging you. In fact, your disposition is actually a, a belief that Maybe people are saying something kind about you or they have your best interest at heart. It's a radical shift that happens. So let's talk very briefly as we get ready to wrap this up, some forms of insidious speech, both in public and in private that destroy image bearers, that destroy community. And at root here, what we need to understand is there are words and ways of speaking that are inspired by God himself, the Holy Spirit, and governed by scripture. Then there are words and ways of speaking that are inspired by Satan. Jesus in John 8 called Satan the liar and the deceiver and the murderer. In the book of Revelation, Satan is called the accuser. And so this malevolent agent who is the eternal enemy of God and God's people inspires. He seeks to, through our words, work his murderous, destructive will against God in the world. And so really pay attention to the way that you are having conversations in private about other people. Is there accusation? 
are you accusing somebody without, uh, without, mm, I guess, evidence or without merit, or are you condemning people to, uh, to your own judgment? Um, lies and exaggerations. We all, we all do this. We all have to tell ourselves stories to keep ourselves somewhere with a sense of who we are in the midst of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, this like creation of false narratives. Mm-hmm. So in in the world that we live in, and I've seen this over and over and over in my own world and in the church especially, these lies and exaggerations and false narratives about what's happening. We create these narratives in private like, okay, what's the real story of what's really going on behind the scenes? Because we know that what's happening in public is definitely not what's happening behind the curtain. And, you know, listen... I think that there's some justified cynicism in our cultural moment with that, but it does not negate the call to be very, very careful about creating these false narratives, these false stories, these lies, these Mm -hmm. exaggerations and propagating them in private in our conversations and making them true. I actually just, one thing that's coming to mind here is I had a conversation with the person a couple weeks ago and they just came to me and, and expressed some narratives that they had in their in their mind and um, were really uh, one seeking just repentance but also freedom from mm-hmm. these narratives and one of the things that I appreciated so deeply about that conversation was that person was willing rather than just to sit in the narratives they actually chased the awkward and they said all right I, I want to talk to her and I want to ask some questions and I want to in confession and vulnerability, say, here's what I've been feeling and thinking. Um, Can you help me with that? And it was such a beautiful thing of rather than sitting in that false narrative and just letting, you know, all these creations come to her mind, she actually just like chased the awkward. And so it's, it's again, it's pursuing that unity and that maintaining of tight-knit relationship by conversation, face-to-face communication, eye-to-eye over a cup of coffee. Yeah, Pete Scazzaro, one of our mentors via all of his books and his discipleship models talks about relational health and not mind reading. Mm-hmm. And we, we're just notorious for deciding what somebody's motives are for whatever they did or whatever we interpreted them as doing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we create entire stories around that rather than like my wife said, uh, chasing down the awkward, chasing down the important conversation to get clarity. And then in private, until we've chased down that conversation, we are not assuming to know the motive. We're not assuming that they had some grand scheme to really hurt us, right? It's, and this is difficult. That's why James says, the tongue, to tame the tongue, oh, it is, it is a challenge. Other insidious forms of speech that uh, we all fall prey to, gossip uh, in the Christian world usually, usually begins with, hey, could I, could I tell you about something that I think we should be praying about? <laughs> We're so good at spiritualizing uh, gossip and just, you know, getting information out that's a nice chewy morsel for something to make us feel like we're better than, bigger than, whatever, another person. Uh, Slander is just, I think slander is the sword that Satan is using right now to slay. Just tearing down people. Just to slay souls. Mm -hmm. Slandering in private, just slandering a person, just making up, judging character, deciding what motives were, deciding what is wrong and right. And, and um, it's just, it's horrific. And then this is a big one for me. And I, I, you know, 
babe, you could speak into my life on this. I, I, I think that I'm really wrestling with this one, but I recognize it's a truth that I need to work on. And it's, it's sarcasm and mocking humor. You know, we have friends, uh, missionary friends from Russia and American humor is so biting. Uh, Western American humor is, it's based in mockery and roasting and, um, um, you know, like caricaturing. caricaturing and it's what I've been raised in. Um, and so there's a constant kind of mocking sarcastic tone. I remember, um, Jeff and Christina coming back from Russia and having a conversation with Jeff, just like, I don't understand this humor. Everybody will laugh at what I am interpreting as mocking and insulting and scorn and, and everybody's laughing and thinks it's so funny. And I'm, I'm like kind of really bothered by this conversation that's happening and so, you know, in our community, we have got some of the wittiest, funniest, fast of mind, uh, just comedians and they're hilarious. And I will get caught up in that. And my drift to that is to move towards sarcasm, to move towards mockery. And I suppose, again, I'm wrestling out loud with this right now. There's a level where yeah, there's brevity, there's fun, not taking ourselves so serious, but then also really checking my heart. Am I just cutting another human down? Am I just trying to make myself feel better about myself? Um, and how are they doing impressions of me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know to, just to wrap this up, if we were to go back to the beginning, silence and solitude, it's like this, it's concentric circles again, starting at the mo innermost circle silence and solitude, time with Jesus transforms our hearts. In silence, we relinquish control over our words. We're not trying to manipulate others with our words. We're not trying to control situations. We're relinquishing and surrendering control in silence and solitude. And in that time, our hearts are transformed. And then from that place, godly and Holy Spirit filled speech emerges from that place. From the silence, spirit-filled speech emerges. And so I think we all need to ask ourselves and just reflect, like, does our speech reflect the heart transformation that's taking place in us? Or, you know, to, on the other side, maybe there's not a lot of heart transformation happening and your speech is reflecting that. You know, are our words contributing and promoting tight-knit relationships or are our words tearing down um, our community in private and in public? Jesus said, let's not forget you guys, by our love for one another, the world will know you are my disciples. Our display and care for one another, showing concern for one another at cost to ourselves is this display of the love of Jesus to the world. And so we'd like to actually just close with this prayer from Psalm 141. And I'm, I'm going to read it in the plural um, for all of us. And let's make it our prayer for this month. Psalm 141, one through three. We call to you, Lord, come quickly to us. Hear us when we call to you. May our prayers be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of our hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over our mouths. Keep watch over the door of our lips. 
in Jesus' name. Shalom, friends. Shalom. Shalom.